our Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 12, just the last few verses of Matthew chapter 12. Let's bow before the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful and thankful that we can have time here to read some scripture, not just these verses here, but some other ones that we'll look up together. All of your words are like food to us, Lord, spiritual nourishment. Sweeter than any food we can eat, more valuable than any money we can have. Your word is the true light for men's hearts and minds in this world today. There's nothing else that rings so true, is so timeless, is so unassailable, though men try. Your word is powerful, it gives life. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It goes forth from you and always accomplishes the purpose for which it's sent. Because it is powerful, because you are powerful. And you're the author and the giver of it. Lord, I know there's nothing about my speech. There's nothing about my preparations. There's nothing about my position that has any power in it at all. We need to hear from you. We need to hear from you. And we need to be nourished by you. By you. For this is the only nourishment that matters. And I pray, though it's my voice in the room here today, that's audibly heard, I pray, Father, that truly, Lord, I pray that it is you that we hear from here today. And I thank you, Lord, asking for your help, praying that every Christian, Lord God, would take your word to their hearts, praying that any person who's come in today who hasn't come to Christ yet, that maybe today would be the day that you brought them here so that they might come to you through the word and get saved. Thank you. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray. Amen. All right, so... Here is Matthew chapter 12, and it starts in verse 46, and it's just a very short passage, and we'll take, we'll just go th read it through here quickly, and then there's a bunch of other passages that I want us to look up that kind of explain what I think are the, the two really important things that you need to draw out of, out of this passage, and I'm sorry for the typo in the bulletin this morning. I had a bunch of things to update and add and things like this, and and I forgot to update the sermon title, but as Joe told you, the message is called, is called The Family of Disciples. The Family of Disciples. And here we are. While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, 
Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother, uh, my brother, my sister, and mother. That's a, that's a very Jesus-like thing to say. Well, of course it is, because Jesus said it. But, uh, of course, the first thing that I observe is that this occurred while he was still talking to the multitudes. So, in my head, I'm trying to picture standing in front of the church, not that this is a multitude, but standing in front of a church and having someone walk in and saying, your mom and your sister are outside and they want to talk to you, to which I would say, well, have them come in and sit down or, or tell them to wait for a few minutes because like, I'm talking right now. But Jesus actually, in front of this great multitude, actually takes the time to give, doesn't name who it was that said to him, these people are outside, but Jesus actually takes the time to address it and address it in a very simple way and address it in a very profound way. So profound that here it is in the Bible. And, and like, I, I mean, we don't, I mean, you have the previous text. So you see some of the things that were going on. And, and you know, the, the passage Jesus said in verse 39, evil, adulterous generation seeks after a sign and all these things. There are probably many other words that Jesus said that aren't written down. And yet this little thing makes its way into the Bible, right? Because it is so profound, isn't it? That like, that, that Jesus is actually told in the middle of a speech, in the middle of a teaching, a sermon, a talk of some kind, he's in front of multitudes that, you know, your family's outside and they want to talk to you, you know? Uh, what was the motive for his family being outside? I don't know. We know about Jesus' family that there are times recorded in the Bible where uh, his family members didn't really, they weren't really down with the whole Messiah thing, right? And they had all sorts of questions for him. I think his mother was always with him. You know, right? You read about Mary pondering, cherishing, storing things away in her heart. So, and of course, Mary was the one who had the vision. I mean, Mary knew the circumstances under which she became pregnant and gave birth to Jesus, you know. So, so I mean, Mary, I think, was always there. But, but the brothers and sisters, the other children of Joseph with Mary, um, they, they, they weren't always there. Now, we know also, though, from the Bible that they came around, right? And you actually have two letters written in the New Testament that were written by half-brothers of Jesus, the book of James and the book of Jude. And they're, they're, and and by the way, let me just get this out of the way because sometimes people don't read the rest of the passage of Scripture because they just get stuck on the fact that Jesus had brothers and uh, and and they were outside and and they wonder like what is that like a reference to and they because the Catholic tradition is that Mary was perpetually a virgin and was even assumed into heaven without dying um, and herself was without sin and immaculate. The Feast of the Immaculate Conception is actually not the conception of Jesus. It's the conception of Mary. And, and, uh, and, and you, have, um, you have that whole almost cultish-like worship towards Mary. Mary is an outstanding and blessed and wonderful, faithful, godly 
woman, but you have almost like a, 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 a veneration that rises to the level of worship that kind of surrounds her within that Roman Catholic tradition. There is, there is zero, zero question that this is a reference to actual, in the flesh, children of Mary and Joseph who were born to them after Jesus was born. And I'm not going to take all the time today to flesh all of that out, but there are obviously other passages of Scripture that could be turned to. But I just point out that right at the heading here because a lot of times people get hung up on that and I don't want to get hung up on that because that's not the profundity of this. For some people it is, but it isn't really. It's what Jesus ends up saying. So he's got this situation where his mother and his brothers come and his brothers seem to be skeptical. And so one of the people says, look, in verse 47, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. And as I said, this, this answer, simple little answer, reveals so much. And there's two particular things that I want for us to flesh out a little bit today, which will take some time. He answered and said to the one who told him, right? So I guess you could make the case that maybe Matthew was the one who told him, right? Because it's like it's in the Gospel of Matthew. I don't know. But in any case, he said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Right? And he stretches out his hand and he points to who? He points to his disciples, right? He doesn't point to where his family may have been standing outside. I don't know necessarily that he was referring to the entire multitude that he was speaking to. He specifically pointed to his disciples. And then he said of his disciples, what? Here are my mother and my brothers. And then he adds some definition by saying, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. So what immediately, without even picking all this apart too much, can you very easily ascertain from this passage of scripture? The definition of a disciple, right? What? Because Jesus points at his disciples and then says, the ones who are my family are the ones who do the will of my Father in heaven. Now you put your noggin to that a little bit. And, you know, what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who does the will of God. Right? A disciple is someone who does things. So the first thing that we need to talk about a little bit, and this isn't necessarily anything new, but it's, it's, it's good for us to revisit these things as we see Jesus presenting them. What we see here is that Jesus is saying something very important about disciples. Disciples, I mean, the word disciple, as I've pointed out many times before, you see as a form of the word discipline, right? And you will, will speak sometimes. You know, I, I made reference to Robert graduating from college. You know, some of you have gone to college and you studied or, or some of you are there now and, and you're studying a particular thing or maybe you've studied some sort of athletics or some form of exercise or, 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 or you know, but we will refer to the specific learning of a specific task or a specific skill sometimes as a discipline, right? It's a discipline because it requires dedicated effort and dedicated time dedicated energy and the exertions of your talent in such a way that you're working them and working them and working them and working them so that you get better at this. 
And that's where like the modern use of the word discipline, we think of someone who's very disciplined as someone who is someone who sticks very closely with something they laid out to do. We think of discipline, we think of diligence. We think of discipline, we think of someone who is not going to be put off, is not going to be stopped. They have set their heart and their minds and their energies to a task and they are going to see it through to the end. And to make it, they need to be structured. Maybe you think of that word, structure, when you think of discipline, right? And so they're disciplined at what they do. This is what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who disciplines themselves to what? Do the will of God, right? A, dis- a, a disciple of Jesus Christ is someone who is completely and fully devoted to learning of and learning the ways of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, that's my family. I love mom and I love my brothers, right? But my family, right, are these ones who are my disciples, right? And so you learn about that on the surface, just looking about this. So I want to say a few things about disciples, but then the second thing that is is really important then to understand and really maybe the thing that the whole passage hangs on is what? What Jesus says of these disciples in verse 50 is, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that's my family, that's my brother, that's my sister, that's my mother. Yeah, we call each other in Christianity in the church. We call each other's brothers and sisters, right? And we speak of God as being our father, like Angie so beautifully sang for us today. Abba, Father, Abba, being like that 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 intimate, kind of like we would say, Daddy. You know, we think of God as being that to us, and we think of ourselves as being brothers and sisters. And and for many of us, our church becomes like a family because it is. And I have known many Christians and even know some now for whom their life in their church really is their family because maybe they've experienced coming to Christ and, and they've, their natural family maybe has not been so down with that. And so even they, they still love their family and they desire to see their family come to Christ. But as they're walking with Christ, they're not necessarily experiencing in their life at home among their own relatives, uh, that sort of support and encouragement and fellowship. And so their church becomes like a really important part of that. That's why church needs to be cared for so much. If, if, if Christ's family are his disciples, right, then what is church? Church is the organization of those disciples. Church is the in-earth, in-time expression of this family picture that Jesus is describing. There is the church, which is the church at large in the whole world over all time, all the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are the family of God. But then that is expressed and practically experienced and ordained on the pages of the New Testament in the local church, these small local assemblies of believers. And you see that even in some of the apostolic Writings You see in the book of Galatians, reference to the churches of Galatia. In the book of Titus, you see uh, appointing elders in the churches of Crete. And so you have the church, but then you have churches. And this becomes, you know, the expression of family. But the thing that it really hangs on is, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, 
That's my family. So we need to understand, what does Jesus mean when he says, does the will? Does the will of my Father in heaven? What is it that he's talking about there? So those are kind of the two big things that are in there. I was a bit verbose with all that, but if you didn't, if you didn't catch it specifically too much, there's the idea of being a disciple that needs to be talked about because that's who Jesus points at. Here's my family, my disciples. And then he says what they do. And what they do is they do the will of the Father in heaven. So we need to talk about being a disciple and we need to talk about the will of the Father in heaven because does not the entire passage hang on those two things? That's what, that's what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus did not, before I delve into the first of those two things, Jesus, of course, did not mean to at all be disrespectful or unloving to his earthly family. Obviously, Jesus was like the perfect family member as he was the perfect everything in his life. And you see that eventually in time, it seems that those members of his family who were once skeptical did become very fruitful and important disciples of his as well. Weird to think about your mom being your disciple, isn't it? But, but, that, but that, isn't that what Mary is? I mean, it's weird to think about needing your son to be your Lord and Savior. But when Mary is with Elizabeth, that's what she refers to. My, my spirit, my heart rejoices in God, my Savior, right? She knows that the child in her is not just her kid. The child in her is her Lord and her Savior, right? So, so Jesus was not meaning to disrespect any of that at all. But he was making a very important point. In the family of God, the family of God is those who are his disciples. Three things I want to say about disciples this morning then, okay? Number one is that disciples are made Disciples are made. Disciples are not something that just poof, you're a disciple. Disciples are something that are carefully made over time. And I would point you to Matthew chapter 28, the end of this book. You're familiar with it, but go ahead and look there anyway. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. Everybody there? Good. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. You know this. Go therefore and make disciples. So so Jesus' first disciples are told what? To go out through all the world and make more. When Christ was on the earth, Christ made them disciples. How did Christ do that? He did it by spending time teaching with them. He did it by setting his life as an example for them and, you know, giving them that example to follow. Of course, the most important thing that Christ did was laid down his life to save them. But before he did that, he spent three full years with them and they followed him around and he set an example for them how they ought to minister, taught them how they ought to take his gospel into the world, showed them 
uh, by his example, his compassion towards people. Um, when they would get like, you know, there was one time they came across some Samaritans who didn't give them what they were looking for. And so they said, shall we call down fire from heaven? You know, and Jesus was like, I haven't come to destroy men's lives. I've called. That's all part of their discipleship. That was all part of Jesus making them disciples. The times that he had to rebuke them. The times that he had to correct them. The times that he had to teach them. The times that he had to just sit with them and spend time alone with them. And they, they, for their part, had to be like dedicated to that, right? I mean, you see the first disciples called by uh, them literally dropping their nets. They were fishermen with their father. You see them literally leaving their nets and their boats and just going and following Jesus wherever he went. So the becoming of a disciple involves the effort of the disciple maker... And the commitment of the person who wants to be the disciple. But disciples are something that are made. They are made and we're told how. And, and well, you can make the point also shouldn't overlook it that disciples are from all nations. Which is, this, which is to say God seeks disciples from every group of people on the face of the earth. And all the different ways that you can, I guess, demographically separate people into different people groups. The Lord just sees right through and right past and right around or what, however you want to feel. The Lord just sees right through all that. It's just like, no, listen, I want you to make disciples of every nation on the earth. Every single one. And, so, and, and we see that for the last 2,000 years and continuing today. That has indeed been done. And, and of course, then you're told how to do it. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which means to preach the gospel to them. And when they believe, the mark, the outward symbol, the outward practice of one who has become a believer is that they get baptized in water. A good encouragement for you. If you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you ought to be baptized. You ought to be baptized in water, right? You can come and talk to me about that and we can arrange for that. But then comes this teaching aspect. They're baptized in the name of God, in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So you see that discipleship involves this sort of uh, cyclical, sort of in turn passing along of what has already been done. When we make disciples of people, we're not trying to reinvent some new clever way to do that. You can see how Jesus discipled people. Jesus discipled people chiefly, primarily, by teaching and teaching and teaching and setting an example for them. And that is exactly what is to be done today. You preach the gospel to someone. If they believe, they're baptized and they're welcomed into the fellowship. But they're not fully made a disciple yet. They're believers. They're saved. They're, they, they have eternal life. They've passed from death to life. That is great. That is awesome. That is good. That is true. That is biblical. But that's not the end it's the end in a sense and that it's the end of their life completely apart from God. But it's also the beginning of a life now with God. And that life begins as they begin to learn. And they are taught what? To observe whatever things Jesus taught. That's how someone is made a disciple. Is by learning what the Lord teaches in His Word. And certainly when Jesus spoke... Uh, listen... The way that God has gifted us and blessed us with tools to grow and to become his disciples is amazing because Jesus says, teach them to observe whatsoever things I have commanded you, which I guess in its strictest context for us would refer to the things that we could read that Jesus himself actually taught. But as you go into the days of the 
first disciples, the apostles who were sent out, what do you see? They wrote things down that are part of the canon of Scripture. So this, teach them to observe whatsoever things I have commanded you, we have kind of another layer of that in all of the writings of the New Testament. And those writings of the New Testament, what do they say? They actually turn around and look into the past and include the writings of the Old Testament into all of that. So when we look at this command and say, Jesus says, teaching them to observe whatsoever things I have commanded you, we're not just strictly then talking about Christ's own words as recorded. We're talking about the entire Bible. This is the way a person becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ, is by learning the Bible, believing it, and becoming a doer of what it says. That's what a disciple is. And Jesus says, that's my family. Amen? That's my family. My family, my mother, my brothers, my sisters... Not being disrespectful, but it's not the ones you're pointing to that are standing outside. You see these? These ones who are learning to be believers and doers in whatsoever things I have commanded. Right? These are my mother and my brothers and my sister. This is my family. What a profound statement. You know, that's how it goes sometimes. He's speaking to the multitudes. Presumably he's speaking for a long time doesn't indicate that this was the end of his sermon. And yet none of the rest of that makes it into the Bible. Just this little side saying, like, hey, wait, no, 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 no. That's, that's not my, you want to see? These are my mother, my brothers, my sisters, these disciples of mine. That's what makes it into the Word. <laughs> that's the thing that we're learning from 2,000 years later is this little, this little interruption that happened during a sermon, right? Pretty, pretty incredible. So, uh, and of course, just to tag on the end of the Great Commission, this idea of making disciples, Jesus promises to be part of it. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Right? And, and, and the with you always is obviously sort of a, an, a, a, a universal truth for Christians, but, but when Jesus says it here, He means to encourage the ones that He's sending out to make disciples to say, I'm right in there with you. When we're endeavoring to make disciples, wherever you are on the continuum, sometimes people are teachers who are, they've been in the faith longer, and so they're, they're, they've given their lives for teaching God's Word and making disciples out of other people. Sometimes maybe you've been in the Lord for not that long, and so you're, you're really kind of where these disciples were in the early years, and they're learning and you're sitting, and you're listening, and you're learning. Maybe, and probably true of most of us, we're both, right? I mean, we have maybe the uh, need to be sitting and listening to God's Word, being carefully taught and carefully preached. But you go home to your house, and what do you got? You've got your spouse, you've got, you've got some children there in your house. Maybe there are other forums or other situations where you're involved with ministry or maybe you got like some kind of little Bible study going among people at work. I know some people do things like that. Maybe maybe you're both a student and a teacher, you know, and that that's obviously all very true. But this is the way that discipleship happens. Jesus came, showed the example, gave the teaching, passed it along to his own disciples who made more disciples, who went out and made more disciples, who went out and made more disciples. And in that sense, what you're doing here sitting today has like this direct connection through history to Jesus himself being on the earth, which I think is cool. We're not just here because 
well, we shouldn't just be here anyway, because that's what we do on Sundays. We're here because we're continuing something that Jesus himself started. Listen, I don't know about you, but when Jesus point, well, I do know about you. That's just a figure of speech. I know you'll agree with me about this. Let's put it that way. When Jesus points and says, here's my disciples, that's my family. I want to be on the receiving end of that finger that's pointing. You understand? That's where I want to be. I don't want to be the people standing outside. I don't want to be the aloof ones in the multitude that are there for some other reason. I want to be the one that Jesus means when he says, my disciples, the ones who do the will of the Father in heaven. Disciples are made. That's the point. Secondly, about disciples. Uh, by the way, on the subject of disciples being made, you don't have to turn there. I mean, you can if you want. But 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 uh, the, the, is a perfect picture of the place that the Word of God has in the place of a disciple. You know it. In the old King James where I first memorized it, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman uh, who needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And the New King James says, Be diligent to present yourselves workers approved unto God, uh, who don't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so you can see that, 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 that beginning of the verse, which in the Old King James says, Study. The idea of study is, when you see the word study, study is the verb form of what noun? Robert graduated, he was a college student, right? That's what a person who studies is, they're a student. So this idea of study is, be a student, or as the New King James renders it, be diligent, which is a characteristic of a good student, right? Boy, Bob's giving me great examples today. You know, he's, he's like... Yeah, Bob, my son's in college and, and, you know, he has the blessing because of his age. He went to college right out of high school and he has the blessing of just being able to live there, you know, and, 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 and we're helping him pay for it and he can just really devote himself to it. And that's great. I myself didn't have that experience. It was, I went into the military, I got out and, and then when I got out, I put myself through college and it took me six and a half years to get my degree going, going part-time while I was working. That was hard. You know? And Bob, Bob basically did the same thing, right? But there's a certain amount of diligence that is required to get that done. You don't make it through that kind of experience where you're like raising a family, working a job, and getting a college degree. It, it, you know, but, but listen, the stakes with Christianity are such that you're living your life, you maybe have a job, you may have maybe a, a, a student studying some other thing. You have other responsibilities in life that I'm sure keep you occupied. But in the midst of all of that, what Paul tells Timothy is, listen, be diligent to present yourself approved workers to God. That's the idea. I want to present myself before God as an approved worker, not a disapproved worker. I don't want to present myself before God as someone who's not a worker at all. I want to present myself before God as a diligent approved worker. And the way to do that is to study and learn to rightly divide the word of truth, the Bible. 
Clearly in the context of 2 Timothy, what he's talking about when he says the word of truth is he's talking about maybe in a micro sense the gospel and in a macro sense the entire canon of the scriptures. We are, if we're going to become disciples and if you're going to be someone who makes disciples, the key is the Bible and the key is that diligence that is applied to it. How good of a disciple, how fruitful of a disciple, how, how pleasing to the Lord of a disciple you're going to be, a lot of it depends on how much diligence you apply to your learning and your study and your believing and your obeying of God's Word, the Bible. Right? Hey, this group of disciples that Jesus distinguished from His physical family that, they were, that was standing outside, what were they doing in that moment? What were they doing? They were sitting there listening to Jesus teach. Because that's how Jesus made them disciples. It's an important... Listen, you don't become a disciple without a commitment to being diligent about learning God's Word, learning what it says, learning to be obedient to it. And hey, listen, you have the equal... Here, listen, here is one of the places where there's no 1% or there's no elite group. There's no... Listen... Here is a place in life where the world is completely equal. You have the Bible. You live presently in a country, in a society where you have all the freedom in the world, all the access in the world to devote yourself to it. What kind of a disciple are you? Hey, hey, listen. I'm just looking at the words that are on the page here. We like Mary, right? We should. Honorable. Would Jesus Christ point at you or I with his mom, Mary, standing outside and say, that's my family? Well, I don't know, but I I think a lot of it's connected to how serious we are about this. Our hearts change when we're filled with this. Our priorities change when we're filled with this. How we react and respond to things changes when we're filled with this. How it expresses itself in relationships with people we know and with strangers changes when we're filled with this. Our ability and our zeal for preaching the gospel to other people changes when we're filled with this. Disciples What did disciples do? Their followers. John chapter 10. Turn to John chapter 10, verse 17. More words of Jesus here. John chapter 10. A couple things to say about John chapter 10. First of all, Well, we just studied in Matthew, uh, well, let me just say this, John chapter 10 and verse 27. Famous verse. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, that they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, 
and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. My Father and I are one. What's the point there that's related to discipleship? Right in the beginning of it, it says what? My sheep hear my voice. Now, it doesn't right away say they follow me. It says something else first, right? My sheep hear my voice and what? I know them. Isn't that exactly what is happening at this scene that we're reading about in the Gospel of Matthew? Some guy comes up to Jesus and says, your mom and your brothers are outside and they want to talk to you. My mom and my brothers, I know them. Here they are. Christ knows who are His. And how does He know? Whether Maybe how does He know them isn't the right question, but what is the characteristic of the ones that He knows? Now you get to the next part of it. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and what? They follow me. Right? So there's another one of those great characteristics of a disciple. They follow. How do you follow the Lord? Right? When He called the first disciples, they were fishing, and He said, come and follow Me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And it says, they dropped their nets, and they followed Him. So they, there was a physical sense to it, where they actually followed Him. But how would you do that today? I mean, He's not physically here. You know, it's very simple. What did disciples do? They look at how Christ lived, and they consider what Christ taught. And when they see how they live, when they see how Christ lived, they what? They copy it. They imitate it. They're imitators of Jesus, as elsewhere the New Testament calls us to be. And when they listen to what Christ said, what do they do? They obey. They obey His voice. That's what sheep do, right? And that's what we are in the illustration here in John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. And what's next? And what? And I give them eternal life. And listen, sheep were always vulnerable to being pilfered, picked off either by a wolf is the, is the common illustration, or maybe poached off by some other unscrupulous shepherd. Listen, not with Jesus. Jesus knows those who are His. They follow Him. He gives them eternal life and no one will pluck them away. No one will snatch them away. Those are my disciples. That's my family. What are you doing? What are you doing in the, uh, in the process of discipleship? Where are you at? Do you devote yourself to it? Are you devoted as a matter of... Hey, listen. We live in a life and in a world where it's very easy to become complacent, distracted, satisfied with this world's goods, satisfied with this world's traditions, satisfied with this world's values and pleasures and amusements and entertainments. What degree of diligence do you apply to someone who learns to imitate and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what else it says about disciples? It says that they're not above their master. We just went over that in Matthew. Turn back in Matthew. Look at, look at chapter 10 in Matthew. 
We're in the end of chapter 12. Just take a couple pages back real quick and look at chapter 10 and verse 24. Jesus says what? A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for his disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. See if this rings a bell. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and nothing hidden that will not be known. So if you recall, it happened a couple of times after this. You know, they do it again. They say he casts out demons by the prince of demons. And that's where Jesus says, blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, no forgiveness, not in this life or in the next. All right. But this happened once before. Back in chapter nine, Jesus uh, was they had they said basically the same thing to him back in chapter nine and verse thirty four. Uh, the Pharisee said he casts out demons by the ruler of demons and the ruler of demons, the name given to what they conceived in their minds as the ruler of demons was Beelzebub, right? So Jesus took that. And then here in Matthew chapter 10, when he's speaking to them, he says, Hey, listen, I'm going around and I'm doing what it is. I'm setting an example for you and I'm teaching you and he's making these disciples. And as Christ is making these disciples, it's not like there's a big crowd of people cheering them on. When Christ is making these disciples, it's not like the rest of the religious world, even the dedicated, committed religious world around him in that society and in that culture among the Jews. It's not like they're saying, look at what a wonderful thing is happening, happening here. This, 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 this wonderful Jesus has gathered a small band to himself and he's teaching them to love other people. He's teaching them to preach. He's teaching them to minister. Miracles are being done. Casting out demons, setting people in. Look at all the wonderful, beautiful... No, that's not. They're saying things like, the only reason he's able to do this is because he's got a demon himself. That's great, right? That really encourages you want to go on. But it's like, listen, what Jesus says is, remember now, you're not above your master. A disciple is not above his master. Right? That's what it says. A disciple is not above his master. It's enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. That's discipleship. Discipleship is not that we're going to somehow avoid the hard and the bad things that came Jesus' way. And sometimes that's the way we want it. We want our lives simply to be smooth and comfortable and enjoyable and pleasurable. And yet life in this world was not that for Jesus. Right? And Jesus said, servants aren't greater than their masters. A good servant, a good disciple, it's enough for them, what? To be like, not above, but like their masters. Right? So that's another characteristic of disciples. We're not above our master, we're like him. We look at how he lived, and we ought to desire to live that way and try to live that way. We listen to what he taught, and we ought to love it and believe it and cherish it and desire it and practice it. And preach it to others. We look even at how we suffered. He suffered. And expect that if we are disciples according to his own design. That we will receive the same. We don't seek to escape what Jesus himself had brought to him. Rather, we grow so close and love him so much. That we expect that as we stand for Jesus we will receive some of the same things. Oh, I don't expect that we'll be crucified. 
right? Not common in today's world. I don't even expect here in America that we'll be killed, although maybe those days will come. As I've told you the past few weeks, I do expect, I don't know, I'm not prophesying, please, but my inclination is I would be surprised, let's put it that way, if we did not live to see the day where being a Christian becomes very, very hard. Hard. Lots of governmental restrictions put on the expression of our faith. It's happening in other places in the world. What you can say, what you can practice, what you can restrict. We're not above our master. It's enough for us to be like our master. That's what a disciple is. And so disciples are made, disciples are followers, disciples are not above their masters. And Jesus says, see these? That's my family. Did you ever notice that the the teachings of Jesus are often very hard? And they're very heavy. Did you ever notice that? Anybody? Yes? The teachings of Jesus are often that which, when they're taken at their face value, they're demanding. They seem to point to future difficulty for those who would receive them. A disciple looks into that and considers that and thinks about that. And it drives that disciple, in effect, to his knees where he seeks the Lord for strength, where he seeks the Lord for courage, where he seeks the Lord for filling of the Holy Spirit, where he seeks the Lord. See, that's the great thing about being one of Christ's disciples is that I am with you always. It's not just like you're made a disciple and then you're cut loose. Good luck with that. That is how other career fields and other practices in the world are. You get trained and you're sent out. Now go do a good job. Jesus says, we're going to teach you. Be one of my disciples. And when I send you out, I'm going to be right there with you the whole time. That's great, right? So we should look at some of these hard and heavy things that Jesus says And what it should do is not discourage or dissuade us. What it should do is cause us to even more want to press in, press in closely with the Lord. Now, still in Matthew chapter 12, what do we see that the Word says? Uh, He said, he pointed at his disciples. So we just made much of the fact that he pointed at his disciples. But now... We come to the next part of this, which is what he says. Here are my mother and my brothers. He points at the disciples and says that. Then he adds, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And this is pretty easy to understand. First of all, most important, foundational, the most direct understanding of the context of this passage must start with this. When Jesus says, my family are my disciples, are the ones who do the will of my Father in heaven. What is the will of the Father in heaven? 
Where does it all start? At one point, another occasion in Christ's life, people asked Him, What may we do that we may do the works of God? And Jesus answered by saying, This is the work of God that you what? Someone knows this, right? Huh? He sa- Jesus says, he says, it's in John chapter 6. And he wants to do, what must we do that we can do the works of God? He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Right? I didn't hear what everybody said back there, so maybe you said that. Good job. All right? That you believe in him whom he sent. So when we talk about doing the work of God, when we talk about Jesus pointing at some people and saying, this is my mother, my brother, my sisters, these, who is it that he's talking about? He's talking about those who believe. This is the foundation of being a disciple of Jesus, is that you believe. And I just want to say that to you here today. The gospel of Jesus Christ, which he came to present and to teach and then to seal, if you will, in his own blood when he died for your sins and my sins and rose from the dead. The gospel is what? We're sinful and we don't we don't deserve to call ourselves disciples of Christ There's no amount of commitment or effort or works or religion or anything that we can do to push ourselves into that circle, into that fellowship, into that group of people that he was pointing at. We don't work our way into that. Jesus did all that work. If you wish... to be there... The path is not through your own effort or your own goodness. The path is through your repentance and your faith. The path is through that humble repentance that says, I have sinned against the Lord. I've broken His laws. I've broken His commandments. I cannot save myself. But I recognize that He is the Lord. He is the Son of God. He died for my sins and He rose from the dead just as the Bible teaches. And He is alive forevermore. And I know that if I'm going to avoid judgment, if I'm going to miss the penalty for my sin, which is my own death and eternal punishment in hell, if I'm going to escape that, my only chance is to cling to, turn to, believe and receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Hey, listen, if you're here today, and you're listening to this, I want to encourage you, come to Jesus. I guarantee you, there's not one single person who is among the ranks of those whom Jesus said, there's my family, who's not a believer in Him, first of all. This is what Jesus, I think, is primarily saying in the passage. You know what? My brothers, His brothers outside were not people who believed in Him yet. Jesus says, here's my family, these ones who are listening and believing the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Salvation comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Come to faith in Him. Come to Jesus. Humbly acknowledge your sin and turn to Christ and receive Him. But the Bible then also speaks 
of those who have believed as manifesting or showing in their lives through how they walk and how they live that they are believers. That fruit, you have to be very careful because the the line between these two things seems fine, but it actually could not be more bold and, 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 and more of a, a large, tall wall of division. There is the person who works because they wish to impress the Lord, hoping that they're in. And there is the person who works not because they have a desire to earn anything before the Lord, but there's the person who works because they know they deserve nothing and can earn nothing by their works. But the Lord's love has touched them and His Spirit has filled them and they have believed. And then as the fruit, as the result, as, as the, the product of their close personal relationship with Jesus, which is based on faith, have the fruit of certain activities, we'll say, in their lives. I want to be one of those. Do you know that this phrase, the will of God, the the ones who do the will of my Father in heaven, do you know that first of all, when it comes to the will of the Father in heaven, that God's will is something that you learn. You learn it. And you don't necessarily learn it all completely and entirely just by reading about it, though obviously studying the Bible It teaches you very much about God's will, which you'll see in a minute. But God's will is something that is spiritually discerned. What would the Lord have me do day by day? What would the Lord have me do situation by situation? What would the Lord have me do in walking with Him? And then you see in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. If you want to turn there, you can. Romans 12, 1 and 2, which tells us what it says... uh, It says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. What? Why? Why? Why present your body as a holy sacrifice to God? Why is that your reasonable service? Why have your mind completely transformed? Why, why, why? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Jesus says, my family are the ones who do the will of my Father in heaven. Along comes the Apostle Paul who says to believers, your life, your body, your your, your physical life, take that and make that committed wholly unto God. Your mind, make that committed wholly unto God. So your mind, your body, the inner man, the outer man, commit it all wholly to God. And as you do, you will be able to prove, that is to see and to recognize and discern and understand and put into practice in your own life the doing of His will, that you may be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Jesus says, here's my family, the ones who do the will of God. You and I, we want to be on the end of that finger that was pointed at that group. Listen, present your body holy. Right? Holy. The body is not for sexual immorality. The body is not for sin. The body is not just for amusement and pleasure. The body is to be kept in sanctification and honor. Not devoted to that which is unclean or immoral or dishonoring towards the Lord. 
And the mind, same thing. Our minds, the inner man, the spirit, the mind, that is not to be devoted just to pleasure and amusement. It is to be sanctified wholly unto the Lord. And when you do this, then you're, you're walking closely with God and you are able to detect and understand and prove and know what is His will. If we walk wantonly in sin, and we all battle and struggle with the flesh and with sin, we know that. But if we just walk wantonly in sin, no humility, no repentance, no longing, yearning for holiness... How are we going to detect what is God's will in our lives? How can we say that Christ would point at us with his mom standing outside and say, this is my family. The ones who do the will of my Father in heaven. God's will is something that, while so much is revealed on the pages of Scripture, practically speaking, day by day in your life, it is discerned because you walk from circumstance to circumstance. You walk from opportunity to glorify God to opportunity to glorify God. You walk from temptation to temptation. You walk, you walk through life. Life is experienced. That experience as you walk. We want to know, God, what is your will? God, what is your will? God, what would you have me do? God, give me strength to glorify you. Jesus said, these are my mother and my brothers and my sister, the ones who do the will of my Father in heaven. The, another point about the will of God is that it is something that it ought to be deferred to. The book of James, uh, in James chapter 4, James chapter 4 and verse 13 is... Uh, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you don't know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, what you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good, this is the key. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Look, is Jesus, or not Jesus, James, who by the way was one of those brothers who was standing outside at the time, just to show how he, he came around. But James, who, uh, when he writes this, is James denigrating the uh, practice of planning? Is James denigrating business and pursuing profitability and business and being a good... No. Here's what James is doing, clearly because verse 17 is the key. When we have opportunity in our life to do good and to serve God, but we put those things off because we have self-interests that concern things that haven't even happened yet and we don't even know they're going to happen. In other words, no, I'm not going to devote my life to doing good. I'm not going to devote my life to serving God. I'm not going to, because my plan is for the next, eh, sometime in the next few years, I'm going to do thus and thus and thus, and then maybe I'll come around to it. That's what James is talking about. What we ought to say instead is, if God wills, I will do this or that. Because you don't even know what, and the point is, you don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. 
Life is a vapor. It appears for a short time. We're coming to that time of year where you can start to see your breath outside, right? You know, you see it and it's gone. And that's what life is. It's like that. So who are we to say, I'm not going to do good. I'm not going to do good things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because I'm, I'm focused on this right now. There, down the road, that's when I'm going to devote myself to God. Hey, I talked about this earlier in the message. You know, we're walking through life and we have responsibilities, but we need to be diligent about being disciples in the midst of all of them. We don't say, I'm not going to serve in church. I'm not going to be involved with this or that in church. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to... Because, because, you know, in the next couple years, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. You don't... It's okay to make plans for things. That's not what he's talking about. But what you ought to say is, if God wills, we will do this or that. But but the Lord's priorities will govern my life. So when Jesus points at these people and says, the ones that are my family are the ones who do the will of the Father in heaven. Recognize that the will of God is something to be deferred to. If God wills, I'll do this. If God wants me to do this, if God doesn't want me to do this, God is going to get His way. And what did we just say from reading Romans? That sort of discernment of God's will, that comes to the person who devotes their body and their mind wholly to God. Holy in both uses of the word. H-O-L-Y and W-H-O-L-L-Y. Holy and holy. Devote yourself, body, mind, to God. And then you discern His will. And then as you go through life, circumstances, you say, if the Lord wills. Listen, and this is not just like, sometimes this becomes a trite thing. You know, sometimes I'll say to someone, like, see you tomorrow, and, and I'll almost feel like I'm being rebuked because they'll say, Lord willing, you'll see me tomorrow. Listen, it's not supposed to be trite like that. What he's talking about is you have an opportunity to serve and to do good and you put it off because of your own self-interest. And you're not and not talking about like immediate responsibilities, but talking about, well, I'm planning to spend a year and a half doing such and such, so I'm not going to do good in the name of the Lord right now. All such boasting is evil. Says it, right? The disciples, they devote themselves. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I want you to turn there. What do you know about 1 Timothy chapter 4? It describes the... The rapture. Right? You know that, right? Now, the rest of the chapter before it describes the rapture says some important things. Well, wait, I'm sorry. You didn't answer because I was wrong. And I have, it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Okay, back up. Pretend I didn't say any of that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 describes what? Come on, say it. The rapture. Right. Yes, well, it is the Word of God. That's true. 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk to please God. Hey, good, right? I mean, that's who Jesus is pointing at, is those who are His disciples. 
They walk and they please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. That's what's great about the Bible. Jesus says, teach them whatsoever things we've commanded you. And as these disciples made more disciples and taught, they wrote it down. And now we can read it. So we really have no excuse. I mean, it's been laid out for us as clearly as it could possibly be. This is the will of God. That's pretty clear. You want to know God's will? There's a great statement right there. There's one. Here's one where you don't have to pray, Lord, what is your will? It simply tells you, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles or like the world who do not know God. In other words, we don't live our lives and use our lives the same way that the world around us does. No one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, that of sexual immorality, because the Lord is the avenger of such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, look at this, he who rejects this, and there are people who reject this, and they have their theological reasons why. Maybe there's just hard hearts and they have their practical reasons why. But listen, we are called to devote our bodies and our lives to holiness. We're not called to uncleanness. We're called to holiness in a practical sense. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his spirit. In other words, his spirit is the one who teaches us that this is right. His spirit is the one who strengthens us to be obedient to it. Right? But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so towards all the brethren who are Macedonia in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to increase more and more, that you aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside. In other words, we live and we walk Properly according to those who aren't even believers. That our testimony might be good. Listen, this is another aspect of the will of God that's very important. God's will is not... And if you kind of use sexual immorality as like emblematic of like the selfishness of our flesh. Listen, we're not called to just do whatever we want in our flesh, in our lives. We're called to walk in purity and to pursue holiness. That's the will of God for your life. The will of God of your life is for your life is to pursue that. And what else? All these other things. Listen, not to pursue what our own desires, but to love each other. And love and, and Paul is saying this to a church that it was obvious that they did love one another, and yet he says, I want you to do it even more and more. I want you to live a quiet life. I want you to mind your own business and work hard. Right? All characteristics of how we ought to live so that we're a good testimony to the world around us. This is the will of God. Jesus points at his disciples and says, these are my family members, the disciples. This is the family, the family of disciples, those who do the will of my Father in heaven. It starts with primarily... Above all, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we grow from that faith to live lives that are fruitful and God-honoring. If you need to come to Jesus to be saved, come and talk to me. But really, I've said to you today, really all that needs to be said 
Go and talk to Him. Go to the Lord. Confess your sinfulness. Turn from your sin. Ask Him, Lord Jesus, to be your Lord and your Savior. Call Him into your life in faith, believing and trusting in Him. Believing that He died for your sins. That His shedding of His blood and His death for your sins was enough. All that's needed. And you recognize you can't save yourself. And you recognize that you need to be saved. And so you go to Him and you call on the Lord Jesus to be saved. Do that in the quiet of your own heart. You come talk to me about it. Happy to talk to you about it. Or you just go to Him. Cry out to the Lord and receive His salvation. And if you're here and you're in Christ, and I know most of you, and I know, and I know almost all of you, and I know you're believers, and I know you're in Christ, and I rejoice in that, but I want to see us rise up and grow and become those ones who were like those ones who were there that day of whom Jesus said, that's my family. That's my family. Not that. That. The ones who do the will of my Father in heaven. Discipleship is learned. God's will is discerned. God's will is deferred to. Our walk is a walk of holiness. These things are the will of God to be pursued from humble and believing hearts. May God's Word nourish us and teach us and may we go and be doers of it now this day. Stand up with me and let's close with prayer. Our dear Lord Jesus, we know that you said with your own family standing apart from where you were teaching, we know that when you were told that your family was outside and wanted to talk to you, you said, this is my family. The ones who do the will of my Father in heaven. That was said by you on that occasion and recorded for our sakes. And I thank you for that. And I pray, Lord God, that we would understand it this day, believe it, and be doers of it in our lives. Teach us, Lord. Strengthen us. Help us to be gracious and patient with each other. Help us to help one another. Help us to be holy in speech and in conduct and in action. Let us grow as your disciples. That our lives may please you. Not to earn anything. We depend upon your grace. But having received it, May we now return our lives as an offering to you. Forgive me for so many ways that I fall short of that. Please forgive us all for any ways where we may fall short of that. And help us this day to be committed, maybe anew and afresh, committed to being your disciples, that we may have the gracious and distinct privilege and honor of being known by you as your family. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.